Welcome to our podcast, CATL. I am your host, Mariko. This is Haley Go. This is Victor. I'm Casey. Thanks for having me. In this episode, we're taking a look at housing, segregation, and homelessness in Seattle in comparison to Atlanta. What is redlining? Is that the question you're going to ask? Yeah, I don't know what redlining is. How do I put it into words? I've been taught it and have read about it, but I've never like regurgitated what I've learned to people. So, redlining. I have like a map, an actual map, that I wish I could like show. Um, basically, the city by like real inter real estate agents Mm -hmm. like divided the city i think this was i forgot when the map was originally made probably like the 40s or something 50s um was divided according to like which neighborhoods were segregated by race so like neighborhoods that were predominantly um black tended to be like regarded as like the most hazardous community for like white home buyers so basically the map was literally labeled like color-coded red for like the most hazardous um, predominantly black communities and then like green or I forgot the color like represent communities that are like more appealing to white families or whatever Um, and yeah Yeah, I think it was like that's common in most major cities yeah it's major metropolitan areas it was the FHA federal housing allowance or federal housing was an association uh, that allowed home building to whites under the condition that those homes could never be sold or even rented to African Americans. Yeah. So how do you guys think that is different from Seattle compared to Atlanta? Or do you see any similarities between them? Um, I think when I look at the map of redlining of Seattle and Atlanta, they look very much similar. I think the way they coded, the because they were both created around the same time, yeah. it's like the way they coded the maps is very similar. I think the same... Um, system is used um, but obviously like different parts of the city like when you look at the whole map as a whole it's segregated in different parts of the metropolitan area mm-hmm. so um, yeah like in Atlanta so currently in modern times the north end of Atlanta called uh, DeKalb County is the widest and wealthiest neighborhood of the Atlanta metropolitan area, while the south, um, the Stonecrest area, is predominantly majority black. Mm-hmm. And the access to healthcare and access to like healthy food and outdoor spaces is very much limited in the south end compared to the north end. Which is similar to Seattle, obviously, right. with the yeah. south end and the north end um, dichotomy. So yeah. I found that similarity. Um, yeah, looking at the map of Seattle, I think this came out earlier this year, um, 2019, the year we're in. Um, I'm looking at the map, and it's got it coded by like um, like levels of higher income versus lower income, and it looks like North Seattle area, and even creeping down towards like the Central District area is like mostly red. 
and then like of course in the CV and then heading further south you see a lot more patches of um, what's this purple that's representing like the lower income communities so it does sound like there's some pretty good similarities there. So my focus was in Atlanta and I came across some really surprising statistics that I honestly did not think were like possible since homelessness is such a big problem. Uh, I found that since 2017 to 2018, Atlanta saw a decrease of 14% and since 2015 to 2018, it was a 30% drop and approximately 3,000 people are currently homeless in Atlanta. And this is due to a model that they adopted called Open Doors, which uh, came to be by real estate professionals and also property developers. Do you think that they should implement something like that in Seattle? Because Seattle currently has about 12, or 11 to 12,000 homeless population right now. I mean, personally, yes, I do think they should because Atlanta has obviously seen some drastic changes in their homelessness problem. So I think Seattle could definitely benefit from that program. So why hasn't Seattle, you know, developed their own programs that are pretty similar to Open Doors? Why do you think that is? Uh, Seattle's history with dealing with the homeless has been pretty all over the place. Um, in 2005, they started this uh, End Homelessness in 10 Years program, and after the 10 years, the program basically just fizzled out and was a total failure as homelessness had increased by, like, more than double. Um, but I know that in Seattle, like, there's a lot of money being allocated for homelessness, but a lot of it is spent on doing homelessness sweeps. Um, which is like getting rid of homeless encampments um, and just moving them somewhere else. And that's a lot of where the money is funneled into instead of um, putting it into programs where it's like you're preventing homelessness and getting them like the help they need as opposed to just removing them from place to place. And I, I just want to add in that in King County, it costs approximately $7,321 to move a household, which might include one person or multiple, to a permanent housing facility through the Rapid Rehousing Program, which is here in King County. Yeah, and these housing issues um, disproportionately affect people of color, like they can't afford housing. And I think it's really hard to, you know, unravel issues today that have been occurring and go back for like generations. I mean, if you look at like the deed restrictions and banking policies and neighborhood covenants that keeps a lot of, you know, families, uh, families of color, you know, from being able to pass down their assets generation to generation the same way that say white families do and this is an example used in Seattle you know I mean when you pass down a home and a car you know you start to build wealth on top of these things and while the rich are getting richer you know the poor are getting poorer they're concentrated in certain neighborhoods and you know uh, multi-family housing units and back to what you were talking about with wealth gap and like the movement of families 
um, upper, higher income white families or just like white folks are moving to communities that are occupied by mostly people of color and basically like, yeah, leading to gentrification. So the prices of housing in those communities are going up because new apartments and housing complexes are being built, jacking up the price and making it hard for like immigrants or families who grew up in those communities, um, making it hard for them to, to pay for their Yeah, Yeah, I was actually just reading uh, an article, and I'll I'll have to make sure I include the name of that article later on in the author, but um, it was talking about how that, I think it was back in 2017, that was a proposal that was made where, you know, why not go into these, you know, these these communities where it's mostly single-family homes and start building more apartments or duplexes and, you know, make them affordable so that you have more diverse, you know, people moving into those areas. And I, you know, the first thing I thought of when I read that was, well, you know, instead of just putting apartments there, you know, why not, you know, I, f- I feel like there's just like a deeper issue here. Like, why aren't people able to make enough to have a home instead of an apartment? You know, like... So in regards to thinking about like a community saved or what we were talking about in class, how like immigrants move to these ethnic enclaves to find their community and to find like solidarity with other immigrants who have been there for generations but that has happened through history of redlining and has caused a lot of segregation within those communities and when you take over those communities and make it harder for them to stay there it's like it's hard for them to find their community outside of like the international district Mm. because for generations and generations they've been isolated there and then it's kind of like hard for them to to find that when they've acquired so much like community yeah what's what's happening if if, you know if they can't find that community or they're being you know gentrification begins happening in their area and they're pushed out of their homes you know where can they move that's still local to there's the schools that they know or or their churches or you know where they work even you know where is that I wonder if that's the point where like people end up you know homeless So, um, in regards to what you were saying before, Kaylee, um, with like communities getting pushed out of their their housing, I know that um, back when homelessness was first becoming like a major issue in Seattle, that part of the problem was that um, like the poor people were getting like foreclosed on early, and like their properties were being seized without advance notice, which like led to the contribution of like family be- families being pushed out, and also like maybe leading to homelessness. Recently, there also has been a new law that passed called SB 5600, which extends the eviction process. This is important because it grants tenants more time to come up with money to pay for rent. It avoids the costly and complicated legal eviction processes that landlords often prefer to avoid. Is that in Washington? Yes. You know, I wonder what other policies, com- you know, are similar to that or that can be, you know, developed by, you know, both Atlanta and Seattle. You know, what can we put in place that's going to work 
more towards preventative measures where we can keep families in their homes or able to more easily transition to you know other homes rather than being pushed out on the streets. We'll talk about that more next time on CATL. You heard it here first.